Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Good morning, Ms. Holmes. Good morning. How are you today? Not good. Are you cold? No, I'm just, um, you know, I just feel, I don't feel comfortable. Are you nervous? I feel threatened. We recap some tense moments so far in the YNW Melly double murder trial. Welcome to Sidebar, presented by Law & Crime. I'm Jesse Weber. Well, it certainly hasn't been all smooth sailing in the YNW Melly double murder trial out in Florida. The Murder on My Mind rapper, whose real name is Jamel Demons, is charged with the actual murders of his two friends and fellow YNW group rappers, Christopher Thomas Jr., or YNW Juvie, and Anthony Williams, or YNW Sack Chaser. The men were found shot to death on October 26, 2018, after Melly's co-defendant, Cortland Henry, YNW Bortland, pulled up to the hospital with the bodies of Thomas and Williams in the car, claiming they were all the victims of a drive-by shooting. However, the evidence has suggested that this was not a drive-by shooting, but a staged drive-by shooting, and that the shots actually came from inside the vehicle. Prosecutors say that Melly was the shooter and that he made sure to get out of the car before Bortland arrived at the hospital. The prosecution even highlighted how the defendant was a member of a gang called G-Shine Bloods. And we can't forget that there is a lot at stake here because the death penalty is on the table if Melly is convicted. It used to be that you needed a unanimous vote for the jury in order to impose the death penalty. But now the law has changed in Florida. All you need is an 8-4 to four vote by the jury. And like I said, things have gotten a bit heated at times during the course of this trial. So we wanted to recap seven tense moments that have happened in that courtroom so far. And I want to start with the testimony of Felicia Holmes. She is the mother of YNW Melly's ex-girlfriend. Now, she's relevant because she allegedly initially told police that Melly was on FaceTime with her daughter on the night of the shootings. So things became quite awkward when the prosecution grilled Holmes on her change in story. Do you remember anything the defendant said on that video? Uh, not verbatim, no, I don't. Okay. Did you have an opportunity to read the statement you gave in 2018? Um, I read the statement. Okay. Was it I don't recall, I don't remember anything from that statement, but I do remember my deposition from okay. December 22. So you're the deposition that would have been six months ago? Yes. Okay. I want to go and when you spoke, you remember speaking with law enforcement in December of 2018? I remember speaking with them, but I couldn't, I don't remember what they look like, I don't remember their names, okay. but I do remember talking to someone. Okay. So, Ms. Holmes, I want to ask you, were you honest and truthful with law enforcement when you spoke with them? 
I, I would hope so. I mean, it was, it was 2018. I was, I went through a lot in that year, so I'm not sure where my, my mindset was at that time. Did you lie to law enforcement? I would hope not. I don't remember. I don't remember my. I don't remember my, what I said back. It was like five years ago. Oh, of course, of course. I understand. It's been a long time. So, in terms of the time frame, that was closer in time to the incident of October twenty sixth of two thousand eighteen. Um, that's where you guys are saying it is. You don't even remember. I don't remember. Like I said, two thousand eighteen was a very hard year for me. My husband just went to prison. I, my father died. I had a lot going on, so I was really out of it. Okay. And in terms of your conversations with the police officers that morning? Yes. I do remember that they kind of bullied me and threatened my daughter to okay. take her to jail for accessory after that. I do remember that. Yes. And in terms of the statements that you made about what happened, yeah. you don't have any recollection of that. Did you read this statement multiple times? I, I looked at it and I just didn't recall it and I, yeah, I don't know. And so you indicated you hoped you were truthful with law enforcement. Yes, I did. I have to ask you to be more definitive. Were you truthful? I don't remember what I said to them back then. So if I was to tell you something now, I could be lying. I don't want to lie on the because you're going to take me to jail. So I'm saying what you want me to say. I do not want you to say anything. I want you to tell the truth. Okay, that's what I'm doing. Okay. So, Ms. Holmes, with regards to that day, mm -hmm. did you lie to law enforcement? I just asked the answer. Excuse me. And in terms of your appearance here today, yes. you don't want to be here. Yeah, you don't want to be here. You made me come here. I did. I guess, so. And in terms of you were served with a subpoena. Never served. You never served. And so you were ordered by the court to show up. You never served me originally. That was a lie. And in terms of your job. Yes. Did you quit your job? I got fired because you put me in jail. And prior to that, yes. before you were put in jail, did you quit your job? No. Okay. So you never quit your job? I had to leave because you were you told my lawyer to put a warrant out for me. Okay. So I had to leave my job. Okay. So you left your job? Yes. Yeah, she's basically signaling that she's pressured by the prosecution, that she doesn't want to be there. And the state is grilling her on maybe her lying and that she's not a very cooperative witness. So the prosecution was basically treating her like a hostile witness, and they even suggested and introduced what would be controversial evidence that Ms. Holmes sent an Instagram message about becoming a snitch for the state if YNW Melly's camp refused to financially take care of her. So, Ms. Holmes, is it your statement testimony that you never stated... The promises that were made to us by YNW for me to quit my job and they would take care of us were all lies. They didn't want us talking with prosecutors, but now they've all disappeared. You've never said that before. I don't understand. Objection, Your Honor. Move for mistrial. Thank you. That's a big allegation right there. And I will tell you, as you're about to see, the defense didn't take that lying down. But Ms. Holmes went on to say directly that she felt threatened by the prosecution. This happened during her cross-examination by the defense and when she was also questioned by the state. When you first took the stand, you said, I feel threatened. Yes, sir, I do. Who do you feel threatened I by? Christine, Christine, Your Honor. Christine Bradley, the prosecutor. This prosecutor? Yes, I do. Thank you. You said you feel threatened by me. Of course. Okay. 
did you fail to appear for numerous court appearances? No, I never served in live attorney. Okay. You even went so far as to hire an attorney yes, to I try did. not to show up. I sure did. And has the state offered you any money? The state basically has me on a monitor to have to go to my job with this. It's embarrassing. People think I'm a criminal. The state has ruined my life. And in terms of your feelings and ill will towards the state and myself. I just feel like you lock up against the people. And does that influence your testimony today? It's not influencing my testimony. Excuse me, hold on. Only one of you can talk at a time. You ask the question, counsel, you answer it, and when you let her finish her question, and then when she starts answering the question, you let the witness answer her question, all right? Yes, all right. So the, my question was non-responsive on that one. Ask your question. So, Ms. Holmes, in terms of the court order that was issued, yes. you're aware that that was found to be valid? Uh, no, I'm not worried at all. Okay. You hired an attorney to go and represent you with the Fourth District Court of Appeals? He had to hire an attorney because he tried to get in his bar. And, no, that's a false statement. Objection. Excuse me. Counsel, you're not testifying. I right? agree you on that. Excuse me. You ask a question. All right? That's it. You ask the question. And so, Ms. Holmes, with regards to that, you hired an attorney. Yes. And you then tried to get any sort of court order requiring you to be here in court thrown out? No. What I did was I hired an attorney because you were saying you served me this pen that you never served. And that was found to be valid? You never served me this pen that was never, you never served me. Oh. I've never seen this pen from you from those addresses that you said you served. Those are so not my addresses. Your testimony said you have never been served to appear in court. Judge, I'm asking an answer. Sustain. Excuse me. Sustain. And so, with regards to your feeling threatened on that, have I ever offered any sort of physical violence against you? No. Do you have any written threats from me? It's intimidating. You've intimidated me this whole time. As of now. And in terms of your participation in this case, yes. You understand that you were served a subpoena to appear here today? You served a subpoena after you arrested me. You served a subpoena at the jail. And you understand you're here pursuant to that court order? I'm here. And that requires, under the law, to comply with court orders to compel attendance of witnesses? I've been complying. Nothing further. And after this bombshell testimony, the fireworks really didn't end there because the defense moved for a mistrial, meaning they asked the judge, they asked the court to end this trial right now. They based this on the idea that improper evidence was introduced by the state and heard by the jury, and it was so prejudicial that they can no longer have a fair case. To put a witness on there for the purpose of introducing out-of-court statements that are otherwise inadmissible, instead of at least admitting that that was what the state intended to do, advanced a ruse, pretext, through the state's own mouth, knowing very well that it was improper, that the court had ruled that it should not and could not be done, and it does not somehow become relevant because they declare hostility, which they knew about from the inception. The state made a representation to this court that it was a complete surprise. 
That's not a credible statement. I think it is incumbent upon this court to discern the veracity of that contention. The jury sat there while the state made implication after implication, introduced admissible evidence after admissible evidence to the substantial prejudice of this defendant. And so not only did they do it after we raised the issue, they did it after the court ruled against the state and admonished the state not to do just that. And they launched into that pursuit. Mr. Dennis has been prejudiced. This jury sat there and watched this fiasco unfold with at least 10, maybe 15 sidebars after every two questions with the implications that were being all predicated on the implications and the inadmissible testimony that Ms. Bradley herself read into and spoke into the record. And for that reason, we think that it was deliberate. It is highly prejudicial. This jury has been tainted and removed from mistrial. Now, to summarize that, they are arguing that the state tried to introduce evidence that they weren't allowed to introduce through a back door. The judge listened to that argument, listened to the state's response. He took it under advisement, but ultimately denied the mistrial motion and allowed this trial to go on. Okay, now when we talk about not the smoothest of moments in the YNW Melly trial, I do want to focus a bit more on this judge, Broward Circuit Judge John Murphy. And there were a couple of moments that I'd like to highlight. So during the testimony regarding cell phone evidence, the defense brought up the issue that the state emailed them a report on this cell phone data the morning of court and that they didn't have a physical copy in their hands to review and look at. So they asked as a professional courtesy if the state could print them off the documents. Listen to how that went down. So I have it in email, but I'm asking for paper form so I can follow along. With Understood. Them. Yes, yes, all that's right. exactly. Thank you. So can you make copies of, for those? I have printed. I found all of them. If there's one that she's missing, I'm happy to do so and pull them up again. I printed them all this morning. Well, Counselor suggesting she doesn't have them, so I just want to make sure she has them. Of course, them. and that's no problem. So but they've all been turned over via email. This is all in there. The original copies as well that were provided. Oh. Council does not have the ability to print something out in the courtroom now. She's asking the council to trade and whoever is asking for a copy of it must provide her copy. I'm happy to do so. I just need to know exactly which one she says she's missing and which one she says she has. I don't want to have to duplicate them if possible. None of the documents she's published since so just do, do me a courtesy. Just print all of them out. Yeah. All right. Should we take a break while the jury's on? We can. But can we finish this first? Oh, yes. I thought you so were finished. You're going, to make, you're going to make copies of all the documents. So she has in her hand some of them already. So I just want to make sure I don't double print them just double print. on that. So you know, she, Council is suggesting she doesn't have them. So let's just well, print them all. Okay. Well, she does have some of them. Just want to make sure. For the record, I'm just not. I don't know, you know, you're saying it, it's your set, she's, uh, Council suggesting she hasn't received those things. I just want her to get copies of it. I don't want the, your, your constant back and forth. She has it. Just get her the copies. That's it. It's easy. Just get her the copies. 
seems like it should be pretty straightforward, right? Just print some documents for the opposing side. But, of course, not so simple. And the judge clearly got irritated. But things took a turn. And they took a turn when the judge found that the state engaged in a discovery violation. This is a big no-no. You see, the state can't introduce something into evidence and use it in their case if they haven't shared it with the defense. They can't be an ambush on the defense. There could be no surprise attacks. This all happened outside the presence of the jury, but Melly's team argued that the state was conducting a new test on existing evidence that produced new results that weren't shared with the defense. Well, Judge Murphy agreed that the prosecution, they weren't acting very fairly. Uh, this seems to me to be a Richardson violation. There's a discovery that's ongoing. You know about it. And you're not telling them about it until we're here in court. Uh, so as far as I think already uh, is concerned, I think that's a discovery violation. Uh, and I'm finding it to be a discovery violation. I just think the only way it can be cured is he's not going to testify about this second procedure that happened. That's not coming, not, not coming in. Um, same thing, if uh, you want to keep investigating the case, you know, you can do it. If you can find it sculptory information, uh, you know, may change your mind as to how you proceed with the case, and I don't have a problem. You can investigate whatever you want to investigate. But as far as using new discovery that you're coming in, I think a cutoff needs to be happened because this is this is what's going on. It's, this is, we're going to have this. If you find something new, there's a whole, as counsel describes it, that uh, then you try to find evidence to plug up the hole that's new, new discovery. You know, the defense doesn't have an opportunity to depose the witness. The defense doesn't have an opportunity to do X, Y, and Z. And that's just not the way it should be. It shouldn't be done by surprise. So, uh, so it's clear this was not a new item. This was just this all of the information was supposed to be identical. You found it. You, did, you had a meeting with uh, the detective in May when uh, we're in hiatus because I'm on vacation. All right? <clears throat> got a meeting with him in May after we picked a jury. Uh, and when we're ready to, or we're in the middle of jury selection, you picked it, uh, uh, you, you did it, and you said, well, we hit, he tells you, or you ask him, do you have more uh, you know, uh, uh, programs to go ahead and provide the information? And you find out there's another program, and he runs the program, does a different download with something other than Cellbrite, uh, and therefore, uh, you know, you have more information. Don't make the defense aware of it. You hold that to yourself. You go ahead and put on a couple weeks of de uh, trial testimony, and then when it comes up after he, uh, in cross-examination, points something out, oh, you bring it up and say, well, you know, by the way, uh, you know, I told him, uh, the detective in our pretrial meeting, it came up and he has the program and we can use it and we're doing it, all right? And, uh, but you didn't, you don't tell them about it. You just go ahead and hold it, keep it close to the vest yourself. Don't explain it to them. And then you say, when it comes up, uh, try. I say, what was that? I don't have the report yet. You know, and that's why I didn't turn it over to them. It didn't disclose it's coming. It seems to me that's not what's supposed to happen. Not supposed to happen, period. That's a discovery violation. Okay? So, as far as the detective Moretti, uh, you know, and whatever other form he used, that's not coming in. Okay. All right? That's the sanction. Uh, if you have other information, other discovery that's in the works, uh, you know, you better share it with them because right now, if you don't have it, they're not aware of it now. It's not coming in unless there's something extraordinary that pops up. And just because 
you know, you find out there they have uh, additional uh, capabilities and you want to go retest something. That's not uh, extraordinary uh, on my way of thinking. I'm not familiar with what the case law says. It just seems to me that this is a fundamental fairness thing. You have evidence, you need to turn it over to him. If you didn't turn it over to him, you can't use it. That's really the basic. So that's a win by the defense there, that the prosecution can't use that evidence, but it wasn't all wins for the defense. At one point, the defense tried to keep cell phone evidence from the jury, saying that a cell phone in question couldn't be directly linked as belonging to YNW Melly, especially since it may have been used by someone else after Melly was arrested. But the judge wasn't having it. There's also evidence that we have that establishes that that phone was being used. The, the phone comes up as the name Sack Chaser Howard. Sack Chaser is the nickname of one of the decedents. That phone is used interchangeably so much that when you dial with it, it comes up with one of the decedents name as the identifier. It's in the name of Jamie King, not Jamel Demons. It was retrieved from uh, Jameson Francois, not Jamel Demons. So it's neither in his name, it wasn't retrieved from him, and it comes up with an ID. It was being used after the defendant was arrested. We have information here that indicates that, definitively. It shows the phone being used to call. It shows the same step data from that very unit after he is incarcerated. So it's obvious that it's being used by several other people. So we can't even say that it's his phone and the information there is therefore all relevance, all information on it is, is non-hearsay because it's a statements of the defendant. Not only is it being used by others to text, to call, being carried by others, it's in somebody else's name, retrieved from someone else. Where is the phone located? The phone was located, it was taken from the defendant's manager on February of 2019. The defendant was providing the passcode and information via jail calls to his manager to use it on that. And the phone also authenticates itself in terms of every single photo that is on that, whether it be a selfie, a screenshot of a FaceTime conversation, or anything of that, goes back to this defendant. And they have to establish it before they put it in, not after the fact. This Instagram account is being used and accessible to a number of people. This notion that, oh, it's his account, he's an artist. There's, it's a public account that several people have access to. Uh, I'm sure you're going to be able to ask those type of questions, Counsel. My, my thought is this, Counsel. Uh, it, it's not fair to basically give me an inch worth of things to read, cases to read, articles to read, saying it's how it's not, uh, uh, you know, uh, the methodology is, uh, and the, the uh, basically a Daubert issue on it. It's not, not uh, clear, it's not been established, uh, all those types of things. That should have been done pre-trial. I haven't seen what's on the, the, uh, uh, the, the account. I, I don't disagree with that. Council's telling me it's relevant because of X, Y, and Z there. You're saying it's not, but I don't know what, what, uh, what is the 403 analysis, what's more prejudicial and probative. I, I, I haven't seen anything about that. I don't know what it is. I haven't seen it. You haven't made me aware of it. You're just saying it's something's more prejudicial than probative. 
if it is, I'm more than happy to go through one at a time with you and find out. But as far as who used the phone, uh, what was it being done? Council saying it's it's uh, uh, you know it's uh, relevant uh, to establish his phone. So I, I've made my ruling. You you've made your objection. So everybody knows where they stand on it. All right. So it's admitted. So that's just a sample of some of the heated battles and accusations between both sides. We still have more of a trial to go, and your guess is as good as mine as what will happen next. Thanks so much for joining us here on Sidebar, everybody. That's all we have for you. We really appreciate it. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jesse Weber. I'll speak to you next time.